So there is a, um, there's a trend sweeping the work world. You may know about it from your workplace, or you may not, especially if you don't follow TikTok. <laughs> you know, the, the other crowd is younger. I, I, can't, I can't get it to work for me either, but uh, often they re repost on YouTube, which is for the old folks like me. So, um, but I mean, I mean, when I say it's on TikTok, I mean four million hits last time I checked for this hashtag, quiet quitting. So you need to know what quiet quitting is. Quiet quitting is to be um, distinguished from the great resignation. It doesn't mean the fact that many people have been leaving the workplace, if they work in a traditional workplace, they've been looking, this is an opportunity after COVID to get entrepreneurial, work from home, do something different, do some combination of work, um, realize that they're done with their working years, so on. No. Quiet quitting is quite different. Quiet quitting is when you work, you go to a workplace, but you do as one person with this hashtag explained, exactly what your job requires of you and not a crumb more. Others take care to explain, not a crumb less. You, you do what your job requires of you, nothing more. She says you don't check email when you're not at work. You don't stay late. You don't say yes to extra offers of assignments. You turn down everything that you don't strictly have to do according to your job description. Now, this has been met with, as you can imagine, opinions all over the spectrum. Some people say with sort of mock naivete, isn't that, isn't that the same thing as doing your job? <laughs> While others are quite angry that people will draw these sorts of limits um, and uh, not do any more than they are already being paid for, more about that in a little bit. One European commented, in Europe, we call that full employment. <laughs> and, you know, we are um, a bit of a head-scratcher for much of the rest of the world um, for how long we work and for such, such um, meager uh, benefits compared to, to, certainly to people in Europe and many other places. Now, there's a lot to be said about this, and I'm, I'm going to spend a little chunk of the sermon um, talking about the, the justice aspects. Um, because, of, of course, this, as anything else does, re related to labor, um, our, our theme for this weekend, our long weekend celebrating labor, um, there's a lot of uh, justice issues involved. Economic equality peaked in this country in about the 60s, into the 70s a bit. Um, and I should acknowledge, of course, it did not reach everybody. There has been a persistent underclass, persistently filled by the newest immigrants, um, by African Americans, and by Latinos. Um, also by, often by Native Americans, who often don't feel the touch of prosperity, even in the most prosperous years for the country. Um, but pretty much uh, that tide lifted all the boats, some more, some less, and certainly the gap between the richest and the poorest was at its narrowest um, in those years. Since then, for 
most of us, more of us, it's been more work for less pay. For example, productivity has risen steadily in those last 50, 60 years, but um, pay has stagnated for almost everybody, which means that workers aren't seeing the benefits. I, I mean, who's doing all this work? Who is increasing the productivity of this country? You know, it's not all robots. It's mostly workers, so clearly more work is being squeezed out of people who are not seeing the benefits of that. And that's part of what people are responding to. So, so we get the teacher who did a TikTok video on how to quietly quit as a teacher and why. Uh, she said she loved teaching, she loved the kids, she thought she was a good teacher and she wanted to do a good job. However, she said, in this job, there's no opportunity for promotion. She said, the teacher of the year, this year, will make exactly the same salary next year. You know, there, there's, there's nothing, there, no matter how hard I work, it's not as if I'm going to get any kind of reward for that extra hard work. Um, and so, she quietly quit. Actually, she ended up quitting teaching altogether and teaching more people how to do just what their jobs required of them and no more. Now, work gurus, I told you some people were not pleased about this. Some work gurus are in a panic. They say, quiet quitting isn't how you get ahead. And if that carrot doesn't get any traction for them, they bring out the stick. You're a loser if you quietly quit, they say. So clearly, this is making some people nervous. But the workers who, who advocate this are pretty clear-eyed. They see that the generation before them uh, made less real money than their parents had, and um, that many times they worked above and beyond. And somewhere along the line, if it, if it was true that on the whole, business, or more businesses anyway, repaid that kind of loyalty um, and, and devotion with giving extra to their workers, um, with, with hold, keeping them on, say, during low times um, for the company, um, keeping them on long term, treating them well, increasing their benefits. You know, this generation said, I, I didn't see my parents get that benefit. That seems to be gone. And they still couldn't buy a house or get a college education without taking on crippling loans. So, you know, the, the deal seems to have been off for a long time. In fact, one of the iterations that have come out of these, you know, four million hits and conversations that have resulted is, is some people observing that if we're going to talk about quiet quitting, we need to talk about quiet firing. You know, they said, that's been going on for a long time. It's like this, imagine you're an employer. You don't fire your employee. No, you, you know, they, they stay on the job. Um, but you don't give them any opportunity for advancement, no matter how hard they work. No matter how many years they've been uh, with you, they don't get more vacation time. They don't get a significant salary increase. Um, they don't get more interesting projects. And you don't reward them when they take on more responsibilities, much less when they answer emails during their free time or accept assignments that they don't strictly have to um, accept. In fact, you really have been kind of speeding up the assembly line, so to speak. 
I mean, even for white collar jobs, right? Like what I was saying, productivity is increasing, people are working harder, but they're not getting anything out of it. So that if you're quietly firing people, you're kind of treating all those extras, that extra time, that extra effort, as if they're job requirements, even though they're not. So, for this reason and others, what we have is this phenomenon of, of quiet quitting. Now, what I think um, is, so, is so precious about this, so exciting, um, from, our, um, from beyond a, a, a work perspective, whether or not you're working, going to school, if you're retired, if you never worked, or if you just apply this concept to areas of life far beyond the workplace. I think these quiet quitters are teaching us something about, about presence, about where you are and what you're doing. They're figuring out something that I was at least 10 years into my working life before I figured it out, and I'm still working on it. And that is this. And again, this doesn't apply only to work. When you say yes to something in your life, something that takes time and energy, you're saying no to others. You just are. There's only so many waking hours in a week. So if you say yes to the office party, sometimes you're saying no to going out with your significant other that evening. If you say yes to working late, you're saying no to starting that hobby that you've been mulling over. You just don't have the time for it. You say yes to an extra project, you're saying no to the relaxed month or two you were hoping to have. You say yes to the weekend shift because the boss is shorthanded and you want to be helpful. Well, you're saying no to the volunteer cleanup that you were going to be doing with your neighborhood group this weekend. Now, there may well be compensations, right? You like your job, you want to help out, you like your boss, you like your fellow employees, for whatever reason. If you weigh the pros and cons and you decide you want to say yes to this, even at the cost of the thing to which you're saying no, great, great. You're lucky to have choices. Um, and, and we are lucky if we have those, those sorts of choices in our work life and in the rest of our life. But many times, and here's where I think there's so much for us all to learn from this movement, the quiet quitting movement. Many times we don't recognize that we're making a choice. We don't recognize that we have a choice. And I'm talking about oftentimes the pressure is, is internal. It's not always that somebody's you know, giving us a hard time, threatening to give us a bad review on our next uh, employee performance review or anything like that, or, or holding out advancement. It's just, it's just us. We're inclined to say yes when somebody asks, and not to weigh. But what does this mean I'm saying no to? And vice versa. So those examples I just gave, they all come from the world of work. But as I said, the principle applies between any two elements of our lives that require time and energy and thought and effort, which, you know, is most of them, saying yes to getting more fit might mean saying no to 
FaceTiming with the grandchildren, because you're going to go spend a couple hours at the gym, and you just don't have time to do both. I hope you wouldn't be making that choice, but you might. Or saying no to baking the dessert you were going to contribute to dinner at a friend's. And that leaves you time for those other two things. While on the flip side, saying no to that inner voice that says, you can't bring something store-bought, right? That inner pressure means saying yes to that hour of exercise, that yes to that time talking to these kids that you love. What these young um, and older people are doing by quietly quitting is saying a no that will enable a yes. They're showing us how to softly close one door so that they can turn and open up another one, and we can too. If we don't think of it as just, just a Gen Z workplace thing, but we think about, how does this play out in my life? One critic of the qu quiet quitters advises, hey, Generation Z, you can't expect to love your job. You do this for the rent, stop being so spoiled, put your noses to the grindstone. Passion and fun are for your time off. But you know, I think the quiet quitters get that. I think it's exactly what they're doing. They are discerning where to put their hearts and where not to. And this too is a lesson that we can use both in our work lives and in uh, other places. Here's something I've noticed um, about work in US culture. We're really weird. Um, and again, it's not just work, it's all sorts of duty. The weirdness is this. On the one hand, we have this, this Protestant work ethic, right? And, it, and it, it, it reached its peak in the Puritans. Not only are you supposed to work hard, take your duty seriously, okay, good, serve your community, serve your family, serve your, serve your, your future self, all the things you need to do by working hard. Okay, great. But you're not supposed to have any fun at it, right? Anything that's fun, you must be doing it wrong. Work, work, work. You work out of duty. And that, and that does bleed over, not just in work. It, it bleeds over to relationships. Marriage is not supposed to be for love. It's not supposed to be for fun. You're just supposed to work hard. You have responsibilities to each other. End of story. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's one part of our, this thread in our culture. And then there's this other thread that's, the sort of, if it's not fun, why do it philosophy. Um, complete frivolity. Now, obviously, people pay the rent. But, you know, the idea is you should, you should be having fun, whatever you do. And, and, I mean, just look at the incredible amount of money that this country spends on entertainment, the entertainment industry. I mean, I don't just mean the entertainment industry as a whole is worth billions of dollars. Each part of it. Television, movies, music, uh, uh, gaming, gambling, sports, that's all entertainment, uh, alcohol and drugs, right, all just to entertain ourselves. Now, of course, there's, you know, there's serious other aspects of, of all those things. Okay, maybe not meth, but, you know, God forbid, but, um, but generally that's the entertainment industry, billions, trillions of dollars just entertaining ourselves. What's that all about? And the way that we spend our time is like that. You know, we, people go for spring break, they spend a lot of money to go someplace 
um, exotic to them, and then they spend the time doing pretty much what they do at home, which is getting bombed, um, as, as if there's nothing to do but distract ourselves, as if any kind of seriousness is, is, is verboten. And even relationships, like relationships aren't relationships, they're hookups. And, and friends, friends are fun when they're fun, but you know, if they're too serious or things aren't going well for them, they're a drag. Friends shouldn't be a drag, they should be fun to be with, so drop them if they don't make you feel good. Now that's an extreme, but, but these two extremes, I see them both, and I, I, I always imagine that one arose as a, as a rebellion against the other, and they keep arguing back and forth. You have to be dutiful. You have to have fun, man, lighten up. And here's where I see, like, today's young people have grown up in a culture that vacillates between these two extremes, and quiet quitting, both literally and metaphorically, suggests a wiser way. Suggests that both duty and joy are parts of a fulfilled, fulfilling life. That swinging wildly between one and another, uh, and another of them leads to unhappiness for all concerned. Like stereotypically, right? The image of you work hard, you go to the dark satanic mills of your factory and you work hard all day and it, it beats on your brain and your, and your emotions and your body. And so after work, you head straight to the bar with your coworkers and you drink away your troubles. And then you fall asleep and you wake up and repeat, right? Or in relationships, you do your duty to your marriage, which is not supposed to be any fun, certainly not after the first couple years, and you do right by your kids. When you want to have fun, you have a fling, or many. And they're saying, you know, maybe we could accept that duty and joy are both important to us. Now, this has been with us all along, of course. You know, it wasn't invented in 2022 with the quiet quitting trend. This wiser way has its thread, and sometimes it, it pops up in the labor movement. For example, in Lawrence, Massachusetts in 1912, one of the most brutal and, and consequential um, moments in our history as a country, our history, not just our labor history, um, this is the strike that became known as the Bread and Roses strike. Textile workers, mostly women, girls often, very young girls, um, they weren't going to school, they were going to the textile mills of eastern Massachusetts. And, um, you know, first of all, they needed to get bread. They needed to have enough food, they needed to pay for their dingy rooms in the tenements. So one of the things that they were hoping for in the strike was to reduce their work, their work week to 54 hours. But they already saw beyond that to a life that had balance. And so they said, we want bread, but we also want roses. We need sweetness in life. We don't live by bread alone. We work for what we need, but we also work for that sweetness, for music, for time together, for entertainment, for love, for leisure. Now, I have preached before, and I'm sure I will again, about the merits, the, the, how essential it is, if at all possible, 
to align our duty and our passion. It's definitely something that if one is lucky enough to be thinking about these issues in one's 20s or so, like these, these Generation Zers who are heading into the workplace and bumping up against its expectations. It's a great time to be thinking, how do my duty and my passion possibly align? Because I'm going to be spending a lot of my life doing this work. Good thing to think about when you're training for a career. Good thing to think about when you're looking for a partner. If you are training for a career and if you do want a partner. It's good to, if you can, marry for love and work hard at keeping the marriage loving. It's going to take both. Love won't take you through. But neither will sheer duty. Not if you want it to be joyful. It's good to do what you love and work hard at it. It's good even in leisure. I mean, sure, leisure can just be just kick back and do nothing, let your brain, brain just veg. But also for a fulfilling life, it's good to have some of your leisure time devoted to pursuing something you really feel passionate about, something that when you come to the end of your life, you'll say, I wanted to learn that, and I did. I wanted to do that, and I did. And threaded throughout, throughout the work and the love and the leisure, just plain fun, silliness, lightness, because we need those things too. That's part of what makes, makes a life worth living. So I will preach every day of the week, every Sunday of the year, the merits of, of doing both of those things. And it's also true that these choices are luxuries for many of us, for many, many people around the world, in our own communities, who just have to put food on the table. And they're true for most of us at some point. We just have to do what needs to be done. It's not fun. We're just doing it. That's what the quiet quitters are saying. I have to go to work. I don't have to love it. That doesn't have to be where my passion is. I'm 20 years old. I don't have any particular um, skills to do the things that I love most, the things I dream about. But, you know, the rent has to be paid. And the health insurance has to be paid for. So I'm just going to do my job, and then I'm going to pursue my passions. There's a discernment going on there. So we can all take some time right now in this place and time that we make, that we make out of our precious hours of the week for contemplation and to listen inside ourselves and discern some of the things that these pioneers in our culture are discerning. What am I saying yes to in this moment? What am I saying no to? Are those the answers I want to give? Or is there something I'd like to say yes to or like to say no to that means a change? Are there places where I have quietly quit on consideration, I'd like to give 100%. I'd like to give it my all. I'd like to stretch myself. Where I'm doing just what's required, where I'm just going through the motions, where my heart is elsewhere, and I want to change that. These quiet quitters are quietly reminding us all 
You're saying to each of us, hey, your time is precious. Your time is precious. Your heart deserves to have what it loves. You can be a responsible person without allowing yourself to be exploited. This one might take some political action to put in place. You can't always get what you want, but you don't have to pretend that you want what you've got. You can say, it's not so good right now, and I'll try to change it in time. You can listen to your passions, they're saying, even if you can't always practice them. You just remember that they're there, and they're going to be waiting for you. They're saying this to all of us so that the vision of the life that we need, the world we all deserve, remains out there ahead of us. Because one of the things that we should learn from labor history, one of the things that it will teach us if we attend, is that if we hold fast to that vision, alone and together, that great vision of the world that we want, of the balance that we seek, eventually we can achieve it. May it be so.